You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Another year of magic is in the books. This episode was briefly lost due to technical difficulties, but we've pieced it back together as best we can, and we hope you enjoy this look at the best and worst of 2022. That's all coming up on our Faithless Brewing Year in Review. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson for our end of the year wrap up, and I am joined by the whole crew. So we have Mr. Mana Symbol himself. Hello. We have Mordekaiser coming to us from the uh, Southern Realms. What's going on, buddy? Hey, yo. All great. How are you, buddy? Been a while. I'm well. I'm well. And then, of course, we have the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Caden Online, Daniel Shriver. What's going on, Dan? Hey, I'm doing great, David. I just touched down on home soil back in the States. Safe and sound. Finally, two of us Americans against these foreign <laughs> Fords here. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, even the odds. <laughs> All the crew back on the West again. Nothing of these Eastern shenanigans. Yeah, the best hemisphere. Thank you very much. The only hemisphere. No, wait. Was it? Was it? It was the rockinest hem. The Western Hemisphere. The rockinest hemisphere in the whole wide world. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here. It's the end of 2022. I think this is our last show that we will put out this year. Once again, we've talked up the entire year with our nonsense. Some of these apps like Spotify or Pocket Cast, you know, they give you your Spotify wrapped, and it's always fun to see people sharing like. I listen to this or that show. Some people listen to almost 7,000 minutes of Faithless Brewing this year, which A, is amazing, first of all. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate that. B, like, oh my God, that's a lot of time of your life spent listening to us chat about nonsense, but we really appreciate that. Thank you for being with us. I didn't even know that that much was released, but uh, maybe they're listening to some of the episodes <laughs> twice. If you add it all up, it's a frightening amount of time spent ranting about, uh, yeah, very speculative brews. (laughs) It's a service. So as David mentioned, this is our end of the year show, which means we're going to take a look back on the cards of the year, the sets of the year, maybe even the decks of the year, if we (laughs) had any we felt strongly (laughs) about. And to kick things off, we did promise in our last mailbag segment that uh, some of the questions which people submitted, perhaps thinking in a more historical perspective, were kind of big picture questions asking us to take a step back and reflect on the state of magic, the state of brewing as a whole. So maybe we'll just start off right away with those. All right. Let's go straight into those ones then. Yep. So we've got number one coming at us from the master of questions and the master of insane submissions for our <laughs> brewer uh, card of the month. It's Kilgore Trout. 
and he asks a very simple question. What is your favorite mechanic of 2022? For uh, a brief reminder, we had Kamigawa Neon Destiny. We had Streets of New Capena. We had uh, Dominaria United, and we had the Brothers War, all that came out in 2022. I uh, I really enjoyed uh, Prototype, actually, from the Brothers War particularly. Um, just something about it just just was kind of neat, and the way the flavor all tied together for uh, for artifacts made me pretty happy. Um, I really liked, I know it wasn't essentially a new mechanic, but in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, they had all the um, sagas that transformed into creatures, and that was pretty uh, pretty cool as well. I would have to agree. I was going to say prototype as well. I feel like it's the most well-designed mechanic of the year, at least, and one that has a bit more impact than other stuff, like Blitz. Oh, yeah, Blitz. (laughs) I mean, isn't prototype one of the least successful mechanics in that you never cast anything for the full price, and it is also just kicker? I cast many cards for the full price. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I cast a bunch of combat thrashers for seven when I was playing the uh, blue white Tezzeret deck. I have seen that cast a lot of white furies. Yeah, white fury that draws you a card. Thank you very much. It's the only thing I want to do in Magic is play a seven mana fury that draws me a card. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this big chunky idiot. All right, all right, but for you, illustrious CEO, if Prototype is not the most successful and just a knockoff of Kicker and you never cast anything for its non-Prototype cost anyway, what is your choice from this uh, bevy of exciting and successful mechanics? (laughs) Connive, perhaps? Connive? That is the first one that comes to mind because it features the looting mechanic. I mean, I was going to say Unearth. That's not a new mechanic, but... That's just pure value from the graveyard. <laughs> it, it is pure value. I mean, Ninjutsu returned this year. Why don't you cop out with that one? No. <laughs> no, I think that's probably Channel. Like, I know it's a returning mechanic, but... Channel is a nice mechanic. Has always been. And you think the introduction of a, a cycle of obnoxiously powerful Channel lands into every format was, was good? Is this what we're... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, yes, I think Otawara took me by surprise at how ubiquitous and powerful it would be. Like, Boseju has actually been, I think, a net positive, if I can venture that. But for some reason, Otawara hurts more when it happens to you. Boseju was a lot more hyped. Boseju being the same color as Renin 6 in Modern is is the issue that I have with it. As, as a Renin 6 fan, it's just like, it's just too much power. Whereas Odawara is a little bit more interesting where it ended up, and it's uh, a little bit more, let's say, uh, well well priced. The one that hurts the most is the second Iganjo out of Mono White, where you're like, are they even playing too? Oh, I'm not going to play around it. And then it's like, all right, well, that's dead. <laughs> it's games I can't win now. And even the black one got to shine in that self-mill deck. I, I absolutely love Takanuma in the self-mill blue-black deck from Pioneer. I mean, they're all insanely powerful. I, yeah, I, it's too bad that the way that we're going to remember them is just these lands that are basically free to add to every deck. So that's how we'll see it. But the actual channel cards are like yeah. really cool. The the shocking one and the, yeah, the giant twin turtle. Yeah, the sniper having a spot in uh, legacy decks makes me really happy. There's like legacy painter playing twin shot sniper. <laughs> the the blue ramping artifact ha- like happens to have a channel ability. It's just, I agree with Dan, it's a super cool ability. It just the fact that they're tied to these lands that 
you will have a one of in every list forever. Is like eh. I have that a few too many times to suck in sun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the tokens have haste for some reason. Like stabilizing at one two, counter spell up, and just get hasted out of the game. David, what's your favorite mechanic? <laughs> yeah, I like. It's not a new mechanic per se, but the fact that they've realized that planeswalkers are terrible, they should never have invented them, but they did, fine. So they basically let the sagas take the role of planeswalkers. Hmm. So they've iterated on them multiple times. The sagas turning into creatures, that was super cool, and there's a bunch of different ones. Obviously, Fable turned out to be the one that was way, way better than I thought, um, better than most people thought. Uh, but a bunch of those cards are actually playable, and then... The saga was with Rita Head. Like, they just keep iterating on them. They're just so much more interesting than Planeswalkers. The games are more interesting. They're more interactable. Uh, they make enchantments a thing. I mean, basically, no one was ever playing any enchantments. They added enchantment removal to black because of how ubiquitous sagas are. So, just in general, sagas as the fixed Planeswalker type um, and slowly moving away from Planeswalkers in general is, I think, the best mechanic. Red Black does not play Planeswalkers anymore. Fable is their Planeswalker. They also tied their horse to the planeswalkers as like these are the the faces of of the game and these are the people you're supposed to feel good about. And so anytime there was a lackluster one, it was like a big deal for them, but then they couldn't keep making them more powerful. Hmm. So it's it's nice to have like the actual game piece that a saga is be disconnected from any like uh let's say marketing <laughs> discussions. Yeah, there's no lore around this saga for them. Right. They could just do whatever they want. Exactly. Just the story the card has to tell on its own. Right. They don't have to be legendary. They're not... They don't have to have a particular style to them. It's like, oh, this saga can't do that because it's got to be a fire saga or whatever. Nonsense that they have to do for Planeswalkers sometimes. Hmm. I mean, we're going to have... This is going to be a 10 Planeswalker set, so... Yeah, that's... But that's 2023's problems. <laughs> That's in more than four days, so we don't care about it. Right. Well, speaking of 2023, our next question, also from Kilgore Trout, which modern card, which currently legal modern card, we could say, do you want to see printed into Pioneer in 2023? And why is it Lightning Bolt? Hmm. <laughs> I think we got to go to Dave on that. Dave, why is it Lightning Bolt? Why is it a Lightning Bolt that can't go face? I think Lightning Bolt would be a good actual add to the format. I, I But I think my card would be Snapcaster Mage. Hey, that was my card. It doesn't <laughs> see very much play in Modern anymore, so it doesn't right. see any play in Legacy. It actually just just be a super sweet card, I think. Um, it also always scales with the format. It always scales with you. You literally cannot use it to play anything that is more powerful than what is the minimum allowable power level in the format. So... There's no counterspell, you can't snap counterspell. There's no bolt, you can't snap bolt. And the fact that, like, the, the best removal spell to flashback is push, but, like, push actually isn't that great if you don't have a second fetch land when you cast a like, you're casting that second push way later in the game. It actually has tension with the graveyard. Like, blue-red decks obviously want a lot of cards in their graveyard. It doesn't actually go into any existing decks. It isn't even that good in blue-white because most of their best removal is artifact and um, enchantment-based. So, like, it would maybe flash back, like, Supreme Verdict. It's just a really interesting card without an obvious home. It wouldn't break the format at all, and it would continue to push the format towards having more creatures in play, so. Nice. Well, question for you, then. 
Is it not disturbing that all these cards, both this answer, Snapcaster Mage, and a lot of the cards we just discussed in terms of favorite mechanics, they all lean into that aspect of cards need to be two-for-ones in order to even be considered. They need to have a million lines of text. They need to be two cards in one. And I feel like even though Snapcaster was one of the first cards that really is just, hey, it's a two-for-one, Lightning Bolt is almost like the the last bastion of a card can just be a card. You know, It's an efficient one-for-one card. And the fact that we don't have efficient one-for-one cards in Pioneer is what makes everything be a two-for-one. I would love to see Lightning Bolts. I would love to see Tarmogoyf. Like, these are just efficient cards that, you know, they don't really cut it in Modern so much. So maybe it's time for Pioneer to just <laughs> reckon with these and say, okay, the I baseline... got bad news for you about Tarmogoyf and Pioneer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that ain't it. That's not going to see any play. It's it's not a dragon or a devil or... A, what does Power Word kill, not kill? It certainly kills Tarmogoyfs. Well, that's a question. I mean... Wouldn't that be an interesting card to add? Or do you think it's just so bad? That- well, I think it'd be a fine card to add. And I think we should be printing Tarmogoyfs until it's, I don't, I'm sure it's cheap now, but it's, it would not see any play. <laughs> like Liliana was going to break uh, Pioneer right. and all these right. people were, uh, we need to buy out Liliana's. When's the last time that got cast against you? Like maybe out of sideboard for Greasefang? Right. And so Tarmogoyfs, like maybe it's included in like the Gruel Vehicles deck, but it's not. Not actually gonna be a big benefit without without Fetchlands. Tarmogoyf is not good. Period. Right. Without uh, Mistress Bobble, it's also a lot worse. So, I mean, it would be a reason to put it in the format, but I don't think it would be a reason for it to actually see play. Yeah, they they should print Tarmogoyf, but it it, it just won't matter. It won't go in the Angels deck, which is green because that's a synergy deck that needs <laughs> Angels. It won't go in Mono Green Devotion. It doesn't have two pips. Just the way design is going, you'd almost yeah. need a card that was like Saga of the Goyf. And like chapter one, create a Tarmogoyf yeah. token. Chapter two, yes. you know, Hans did something. And chapter three drew a card. It's just really depressing to me. Like that, that is sad. That to me says that <laughs> without realizing it, we've totally pushed out just like on rate one for one cards from even from consideration. Yeah. Yeah, they should they should print a better red one drop. That that would be actually really good for the format. It doesn't have to be Goblin Guide, but something like that. That that isn't a spells matter card. What is a better one drop that's red that's not Goblin Guide? Like, is there any? I mean, they could print a new one. Like, but can is there something in between Swift Spear and Goblin Guide? There's Kumano Faces Kakazan, which is exactly what they have. Yeah, they have Phoenix yeah. Chick and Kumano Faces Kakazan. I mean, the best one drop is clearly Monastery Swift Spear, right? What's the 2-2 guy yeah. with the... Uh, you can dash him? And running. He can't block? Uh, uh, oh, um, the running. No, the Mardu leader, right? Yeah, it's a legendary ogre or something. Oh, no, I one, was... One red, 2-2. Yeah. Two, two. I thought you said the one with channel, the one the reinforced running. No, no. no you're no, saying... With, with dash. The one with yeah. dash. You're saying... You need like a slightly better version of that guy would be really good for the format. Okay. Maybe make it a monkey pirate. Yeah, maybe make it wide and a monkey. Yeah, exactly. It makes like a treasure. <laughs> and... No, but I mean... Anyway. Uh, did we get an answer from Mord on what card you'd like to see in Pioneer? I know you don't play it a lot, but... No, I think the answer would be quite s- simply be... Mm. Is this card Pioneer Legal? I don't know if the current thing is okay, Pioneer. Let me make sure I'm not an idiot. It could just be Goblin Matron, you know? 
you could just unban looter scooter that's like a new card for the oh format. my god right and it doesn't go up cards dan there you go perfect <laughs> uh no 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 it draws and discards which is better than drawing a card <laughs> yeah but it's not a two for one i would love knight of reliquary to be pioneer legal i would have an excuse to play my favorite yeah knight of reliquary oh, is another go. cool ad that one would also see no play but it should definitely be legal yeah right one of my favorite cards it's just that that's too slow for modern so well, no, and then put in the um, Escape to Coral Helm with it. Like, just do a Pioneer, you know, supplementary set and just put in a bunch of these, like, combos from Modern that people love that are definitely not good enough and just let people play them. Coral Helm is legal, isn't it? That's from is it? the second visit to Zendikar, yeah. All those oh, are legal. Oh, I thought it was the first. That's my mistake. So, it is already legal. So, you could play uh, Nightfall in Pioneer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And lose with it there. <laughs> so more do you want Knight of the Reliquary? David wants Snapcaster. I want Tarmogoyf, not Fable of the Goyf. Zach, you want... Well, I wanted Snapcaster Mage. I'll, I'll take Remand now that Snapcaster Mage was... Oh, yeah. Remand would be sick. That's another sweet card. I love Remand. Remand gamers rise up. Well, they should just print all the counter spells Dan hates. He hates Sensor, even though it's the only reason control is playable. <laughs> I love Sensor. <laughs> And I don't then know. We what's gotta wrong put with... remand in. That's another counter spell Dan hates. So what's what are the other counter spells you hate, Dan? We gotta get that we get those legal in there. <laughs> oh god. Can we bring back remove soul? Oh boy. I'm sick of essence scatter. I want to get back to removing soul. All right, David. I know you have to leave us here early, but is there a final question that you want to tackle as your closing thoughts on the 2022? Yeah, I think that the main story of this year is the fact that we've basically abandoned uh, design for standard and the commander first design. And I think it actually has a lot longer reaching effects than people realize. Cards having to go through standard was basically like the great filter, uh, if we can <laughs> paraphrase some theories about aliens here, but the great filter that allowed design to always be effective. And, you know, it is true, as Morrow says, that these uh, legacy, uh, these non-rotating formats are basically a collection of cards that sort of failed that initial check. But the fact that you basically abandon it is a sign that you're in a really big problem. And you've started the power creep race in a way that like 2015 to 2018 didn't have. And now it's like, it feels like absolutely unstoppable. To your point about the two for ones, all the two for ones we're playing are like printed very recently. They don't even print powerful planeswalkers anymore because you can't put the built-in two-for-ones on them. So I, I think they've like opened Pandora's box in a way that they haven't realized. And it's going to be interesting to see them try to navigate that. Because Commander is the reason why we have two-for-ones built in everything because that's what Commander players <laughs> want to do. That's what they need. And they don't like playing removal. Uh, they get, you know, they're enraged about the, the <laughs> leaked five-mana... <laughs> uh, card uh that doesn't have a come into play ability <laughs> there's like enraged that this card prevents their two for ones it's just like a really pernicious way of thinking about the game and i think it's it's gonna have far-reaching effects like the fact that their primary purpose is not designed for standard i don't care about the economics of local game stores or things although those, those are real i don't care that much about the pro not existing although that's a very real thing but i think for the health of the game they're they're going to run out of design space very quickly other than just pushing the power because to your point, like, how powerful can you make a one drop? Hmm. All right, a one one three three, a one one four four. Like, you can always print a three mana, draw a card, and something something. <laughs> a one four that draws a card and does X and Y. Like, that's space that they're just going to just start chewing up. 
And too often the answer is like, well, you can make it more powerful by using the backside of the card and making it, you know, two cards in one. All of these cards are just like different mechanics that allow you to play two cards out of the same piece of cardboard, whether they make a really tiny prototype box at the top of the text box or whether they actually use the backside of the card, which they're doing more and more and more using more and more text on every card. It seems like every single set breaks the record for most total words. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go back to Eldraine. So we're going to for sure have more adventure cards. Yeah. I mean, the fact that like bone crusher is way better than flame tongue Kabu just <laughs> isn't even playable in modern, like is okay. in in pioneer, it's just <laughs> Like that card's gonna almost get like power creep crept out of Pioneer in like a year at this rate, which is crazy to think about. Bone Bolter Giant. It's a <laughs> yeah, lightning exactly. elemental. One red. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think this was the year that they like basically let go of the rope. And although standard design was very good this year, I thought, the echoes of what they're going to do going forward because of A, the financial predicament of the company there's been all these releases about how they're over releasing sets etc etc I, I think it's going to start catching up to them so i think they have not returned to the the misery that was what is that 2019 oh the first year of fire, oh, design. fire design yeah the fire design meltdown yeah like we we have not back in fire design i think in general i think brothers war was a success i think dominary united was a success kamigawa for me was the set of the year and streets of Capenna was bad but wasn't too powerful yeah. Yeah, I mean, Standard again is broken. People hate Standard again. Uh, they have not been able to resolve their issues with Standard, and they never will, I don't think. The issue with Standard right now is you only have one set of decks, right? As long as you're playing Black Blast something, you're fine, but you got to be playing Black Blast something. But how could that happen? That's so obvious, right? Like that, And why is it Black? Because Black is a super <laughs> efficient removal. <laughs> and like, yeah. They keep printing more efficient types of removal. I, I, I don't... This is this problem is like very obvious. There, there's no hidden card, new mechanic. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, there's almost like too much happening in the world of magic for even us to keep track of. Like some of the data tracking content creators put out the statistics for the year. The total number of new cards produced, and whether you count that as like actual new cards or, or variants, you know, foil, alternate arts, or something. It's almost increasing exponentially. What is it? Some percentage of all cards? Some percentage of all cards printed? Exactly. Have been printed. Oh, they, yeah. They averaged 1.6 new commanders per day this year. So, like, <laughs> Was it like 20-something percent of all cards printed were printed in 2022? Something crazy like that. Something like that. Yeah. So, A, like in order to do that, they, they had to invest a ton of resources into the design side so they've greatly expanded the number of in-house designers and they've assigned them to different teams right the casual play or you know intro product play they have an arena team that works on alchemy and other stuff like that a lot of people just focusing on commander so in that sense they seem to be like just be adding more manpower and brain power to the okay let's come up with new designs for cards but i do wonder if at the same time they've just sort of given up on development given up on testing said okay that's just too big of a problem to solve we don't even know which formats people are going to care about at any given time so let's just make our best guess you know maybe they still have five people playing future future league but 
Like realistically, I don't think that that's as much of a focus for them anymore. So just real quick to clean that up, 14.7% of all cards in Magic history were printed this year. 25% of commanders were printed this year and 18% of all words and all rules <laughs> text of all cards ever printed in 2022. That's the one. That information is a tad wrong because I actually thought it was a tad too big. So I went deep into Scryfall and the number of legendary creatures is actually closer to 19%, which is still huge. But it was 25 if you include both reprints and alchemy cards. Okay, that makes sense. Because when they say the word, like, printed, I'm like, well, the digital cards aren't printed, right? And I don't know... No, they, they, went, they went into Scryfall and looked for legendary creatures that were just printed for the first time this year, and they just considered that the criteria for new commanders. Right. DC would include, of course, Secret Layer, yeah. Alchemy, and a lot of stuff that isn't true. All right. Well, if it's only 19%, then that's fine, actually. That's, yeah, that's, 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 sustainable. <laughs> sustainable. I mean, it's still, it's yeah, still extreme, fine right? Yeah. That's the point. It's still yeah, extremely yeah. high. I'm about to leave. So just real quick, one card that they should be printing into Pioneer is the Titan Cycle. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Why? That'd be cool. Why, David? Why? Because it's sweet. The Red Titan is, like, the, the Six Drops are not good enough. Okay. You can not print the green titan if you want to print some crazy land in the future, fine. But you should print the white, blue, red, and black one. This is, yeah, the Neoform Perennial Behemoth player as like a single issue voter. It's like, <laughs> the six drops are not strong enough in Pioneer. Well, there's no six <laughs> drops being played, so you're not uh, incentivizing people to, you know, play their Psalm Simulacrum on four and then their red titan gotcha. on five. Sad Robot is legal. Shocking. Sad Robot legal. Borderline playable. I keep Sad thinking robot. about doing something with it. B borderline playable. I love to hear borderline. <laughs> every every deck that I play in Pioneer is borderline playable. There you go. Spirit. It's just lurking. It's isn't completely unplayable, but it's not great. All right, that's it for me, folks. Hope everyone has a safe, happy new year. <laughs> All right, David. Thanks for stopping by. And yeah, I hope that 2023 brings everything you dream for. Red Titan, let's do it. Sun Titan? <laughs> <laughs> Work hard, play hard, buddy. All right, take care, David. Bye-bye. So we're back and we've got a uh, list of our 2022 year in review here. I cut out the uh, commander releases. There were a few this year, I believe, as we were mentioning earlier, uh, some number of commander products that, that got released and may have disruptive effects into other formats that we don't <laughs> focus on. So in 2022, we have some premiere sets to talk about. We're going to be bumping on Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Streets of New Capenna, Dominaria United, and The Brothers War. Also of note was in July, we had Double Masters 2022, and in October, we had Unfinity, um, which also had some repercussions on some internal formats that we mm. don't focus on. But let's start off with the absolute banger at the beginning of the year that was Kamigawa Neon Destiny, Dynasty, sorry. Um, had a lot of really, really great memories um, for brewing and for uh, playing Limited. But in terms of actual mechanics, uh, we've got 
maybe more returning exciting mechanics than actual new ones. The set featured ninjutsu, channel, uh, enchantment creatures. This is in the themes and mechanics set of things, I suppose. Modified, which uh, for those who don't remember that, that just means something that is equipped, enchanted, or has a counter on it. Reconfigure. And this was the uh, launch of the completed keyword, which we're going to see a bunch of in the very next set. So, Emmy, any strong thoughts about any of these mechanics, the set in general? I mean, this was the beginning of the year, and it was it was a great way to start. Yeah. I mean, there was also a lot of stuff that just went super under the radar, like the whole modified shenanigans and, well, reconfigure, which has, like, one playable card, maybe two, but I just la- always loved Ninshutsu. So, as well as Channel, as we discussed um, a few minutes ago, those are the two most beloved mechanics, but also on this set, unlikely from the original Skamigawa. Yeah, for me, Kamigawa is the set of the year. I mean, it was the only set they needed to make this year. It was so freaking awesome. On so many levels. <laughs> Just give us Kamigawa. Give us six Kamigawas. Exactly, exactly. For a number of reasons that even have nothing to do with the mechanics themselves. Like, for how many years did Maro say, oh, we can't go back to Kamigawa because reasons, right? People didn't like it enough or it was too true to the obscure Japanese culture that is not as popular as anime, right? Or whatever people like about Japan nowadays. So the whole premise of it, like we're going to just jump 10,000 years into the future. I forgot how many years they said. I think it was five. Five years into the future, not 10,000. Five years? No, no, 5,000. Five years into the future. Yes. Um, So the cyberpunk Kamigawa, just the whole premise of that was just super cool. I mean, I thought they did the marketing, such an amazing job with that, with the trailers, with the, I forgot who who did that trailer, but the, you know, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Uh, Probably not, but that's okay. Were you on the boat when this happened? This was so cool, Zach. I was in rehearsal. Yeah, the, the anime trailer where it just had... The mini saga of Kaito and the Wandering Emperor. It's Kaito meeting with the with the Wanderer, Wanderer as she grows, and then a pretty great fight against Shingitaxias with anime soundtrack. It's like an anime intro. It's a pretty well done. Um, yeah, I never saw this. Pretty good. And then trying to implement mechanically some of what they're talking about of, okay, the the past of Kamigawa is honored via the enchantment creatures. And the sagas, kind of taking on the history of the plane, but also the future, the present-day technology via the artifact creatures and, you know, this new twist on equipping things with the reconfigured mechanic, and then trying to unite those in the modified keyword that accounts for both enchanting something and equipping your little robo-Pokemon to your shoulder or something. It all just worked, right? It worked, and I think people loved it, and it was just such an amazing way to start the year. It also just had a ton of sweet cards. So yeah, for me, this is you know the only set we need to talk about this year. We can skip New Capenna. That was a disaster. <laughs> I, I also want to add that Dan didn't have that much faith, if I'm not remembering correctly, for Kamigawa. You weren't feeling the newly built, like the futuristic view of Kamigawa. If I did feel that way, they won me over so much that I'm just completely retconning my previous opinions. I've always believed in Kamigawa. <laughs> I, I will have to check the records. 
but to be to be the bad guy who pushes back on this, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say this: the set was a great success. It was it was oh, it was. I felt when we were going into it, and I still feel now, this was not a return to Kamigawa. This is not it. This is not what people were asking for when they were asking for a return to Kamigawa. And that's fine. I'm happy with what we got. It's a great set. But when I was, you know, when people were asking for a return to Kamigawa, I think they meant, you know, Kamigawa, not an entirely new plane that literally in design, Maro has talked about the fact that they, it wasn't Kamigawa until they decided that it could be. They were doing this cyberpunk anime, a Japanese-inspired world that could be Kamigawa, but didn't have to be. And eventually, they decided that that it that it should be. But it it realistically is so distinct from Kamigawa, the original you know version of it that I, I don't really think that this is what people were asking for. It is great. It maybe maybe this is what they should have been asking for. Maybe this is better than that could ever be. But uh. It's just one of those in, like things that I, I still have the opinion that this was not the return to Kamigawa um, that that maybe a lot of people were asking for. And that's fine. Um, some of the things that make Kamigawa unique back in the day, like uh, how much there was a legend theme, that is just in every set now. There are so many legends in every set now compared yeah. to what there used to be that like making like the, the amount that the legendary theme existed in Kamigawa was not that much. The Kami themes were very understated in Neon Dynasty. They were there, but it wasn't like the original one where there was like all this arcane stuff and um, spirit craft and all that nonsense, which is fine. They, they, they turned it into this enchantment artifact theme that was very, very cool. Cyber Ninjas, let's go. Moving on to another revisiting of a theme, though, that I think did not go as well for Wizards. It's Streets of New Capenna. And Streets of New Capenna, for those who don't remember, because it maybe is more unforget or more forgettable than they were hoping for, was this like Art Deco gangster 1920s plane where every uh there there are five uh what are they called? They're not shards. Well, I mean there are, there are shards. The families? Yeah. Families, right. Five crime families, all run by a demon. Um, and we are revisiting the, the shard theme. So we've got uh, the Bant family, uh, the Esper... Oh, no, hold on. They gave them entirely new names, which is always interesting. Um, so we had the, the Brokers, the Obscura, the Maestros, the Riveteers, and the Cabaretti. Um, in terms of actual mechanics, cycling was uh, brought back. And I believe this was the set where they kind of announced that it's just going to kind of be evergreen now. It's just... Uh, or deciduous, I think they call it, where it's uh, any set that wants to use cycling can now use cycling on as few cards as they want. Uh, they brought back and changed the hideaway mechanic, and some of these families had uh, their own new mechanics. Uh, we had shield counters, connive, casualty, blitz, and alliance. So, um, I think the it's, it's not crazy to say that the legacy of Capenna is going to be the uh, completion of the Triome cycle and their poor, poor names. There's Ledger Shredder. Um, there's Unlicensed Hearse. Um, there's a few, few other cards from this uh, set. And I think there's a few commons and uncommons that are worth mentioning for other, uh, other uh, formats like Pioneer. But just the fact that the, the names of the new shards, nobody remembers them. That's a good sign. That <laughs> like this this set did not hit it did not connect with the player base it didn't make much of an impact i mean 
the fact that every single one of the crime family has got a dedicated new mechanic, shield, connive, casualty, blitz, alliance, can you name any cards that use those mechanics? Okay, Ledger Shredder, that's one, but uh, can you name a second card? Yeah, Ledger Shredder, um, the, the, um, the, the sexy fighter, the black one, he's got blitz from the graveyard. No, that is blitz. But, but it, can you name the card though? You can't name the card because you've only seen it cast twice. <laughs> well, it's, it's 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 not playable anymore. I've seen it. I've seen it cast, but it's just not. It it was it was a deal for a while. I feel like in order to pass um, the can you name a card challenge, you have to actually name the card. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. Fair enough. I know the Fair card enough. you're talking about, but I'm not going to. Which card? Zach described it as the sexy fighter uh, with blitz. Black card with blitz. <laughs> this yeah, the sexy dance fighter. Oh yeah. But you can't name it either, can you? Because these cards are so forgettable. I think I can name her if I... Let me... I know I even can see the art. She's really... No, I, I can see close. two arts. I can see the original and the showcase. All right. I, I've looked it up because it was driving me crazy. But I won't say it if Dan doesn't want me to say it. No, if you looked it up, go ahead. Just... <laughs> That's tenacious. Tenacious underdog. Coward. No, I was still thinking about tenacious underdog. Okay, yeah. Okay. Then he just sounded like could have said. Oh, okay, well, that that's the black one with Blitz that, you know, is uh, yeah. was mo- kind of playable, but not really. So the other standout thing about Nuka Pena for me was we've been running this podcast on a seasonal cycle where we start a new season whenever a new set comes out. And it was at this point during the year that it sunk in that we have to play Capena for the entire summer and that all of the stuff going on that summer was just like random... <laughs> stuff that was not legal for the formats we play compared to the previous year which had a modern masters that blew up everything and it had all these little extra little sets i think we had like six or seven sets that year in 2021 to go from that to a relatively calm 2022 of just four releases of very muted impact um well it was it was an interesting summer from a brewing perspective where we didn't have much to work with i felt like from nuka penna I think we we ended up making surprisingly well, uh, making out surprisingly well with what we what we did have though, and getting to revisit uh, previous brews and and etc. Um, and you know exploring cards of uh, let's say a more speculative power level. So it it uh, wasn't necessarily the worst thing. Obnixilis was maybe the final nail in the coffin from the three mana planeswalkers are always great school of thought. This card was not great. Ah, uh, yes. Um. No. No, but Rafine Scheming Seer really uh, overperformed. I know it didn't end up being an actual card for any of the Eternal formats, but uh, it didn't doesn't look like much, but it ended up being uh, pretty interesting in Pioneer for a little while. Yeah. And destroying Standard for a while as well. Like, Rafine has been a surprisingly powerful card. Yeah, you mentioned... Um... Ledger Shredder and Unlicensed Hearst. I think you could add Extraction Specialist. These are cards that mechanically have nothing to yep. do with Nuka Pena's themes, right? They're just cards that could have been in any set, but they're efficient. They do what they say at a rate that is stronger than what we've previously seen. They're best in class, so nice additions. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I'm not... There's this weird thing that happens with me um, so let's so let's look at Eldrain. Eldrain is, in my mind, very much a replacement for the failure that was Lorwyn. Um, 
Mark Rosewater will say that's not true. Really? And we definitely can return to Lorwyn. It's the fairy tale plane. And I know it's more than that. I, I get it. I understand the nuances between the two, but I, I feel like for the average player and the average, uh, let's say, person who's not entrenched in magic design, Capena is the replacement for um, Alara. And I... Ravniga? Alara. Because it's the shards. It's the shards. They, they've replaced the yeah. shards in a major way. Um, or attempted to. And I'm just... Uh, it'll be interesting to see with how Capena was not that much of a smash success. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the next time we do re- return to a shard block, whether it might be Alara because this was not that successful, or that they actually try to go back to Capena just because it's newer. Um, whereas I'm fairly certain that Lorwyn for standard releases, is probably dead and buried, because we'll just keep going back to Eldraine. I do feel Lorwyn and Eldraine are completely different in the fact they consider one a fairy plane, and I am a fairy story plane, like a Disney plane, and the other is a folklore plane. Yeah, I know. that You have the, you have the face, the goblins, the kidkins, it's more of an Irish, of a European folklore tale based on the sun and the moon. And the I'm sorry, sun. and where are the Disney fairy tales from? Eldraine? No, they're from Europe. No, they are from there, but folklore and... I know, I know, but it's the difference between a fairy tale and folklore. There's much more mysticism, there's much more related to what the fae are, to the gods. Right, I, like, I mean, I get it, but it's just like a lens on the same story. And Zach, we're talking we're talking more about flavor, aren't we? Like, I, I don't see any connection between the Shards yes. of Alara and Nukapenna. Like, mechanically, they use shards, but flavorfully, they have no connection whatsoever. They do have the Invoke cycle as a reminiscent of the, of the Ultimatum cycle, but I don't see much else to para... That's fine. It, it, that's fine. If, if we're, if we're on, on different pages here, then that doesn't bother me, you know? And I, I would be happy to be wrong. I, I feel like, I mean, if my theory is correct that Nukapena was not a success... <laughs> One of the lessons they will take away from this is that kind of the marginal IPs, like, uh, you know, Mafia World, or The Sopranos, or whatever, don't connect that well with people. Like, I don't think anyone was like, yes, Angel and Demon Crime Families, I can't wait to buy this up and build casual commander decks out of it. It's like a niche setting. Like, they took a chance on it. Like, they took a chance on Egypt for Amonkhet. They took a chance on Sopranos for Mafia stuff. And, you know, maybe they'll think twice about, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean as their next theme world or something. Because it's, like, not that popular, it turns out. I'll also say that they specifically mentioned how they did not lean into the mafia trope space very hard. Um, And they didn't. They did not. It's pretty clear they could have gone a lot deeper. Yeah. Also, the story in New Capena was severe, the whole lore aspect of New Capena was severely underexplained or undershowed in the cards. We have no idea the whole package about Halo being good and inspirations. We have no idea why Elfes is there. We have no idea why Urabrask is there. Nobody, nothing gets explained, at least in the story shown by the cards. Right. So you're just saying they, they dropped the ball in terms of communicating any of that. Whereas Kamigawa is like, I saw yeah. the, the number of story highlight cards from that set. It's like 20. It's crazy. You know, I was just looking, you know how many story spotlight cards are in the Brothers War? Uh, 20? Nope. A lot oh, more. Really? Well, it is an event set. So that makes sense. 
42. 42? Oh, my yeah. God. Well, the, so, because they have to both... So, there's, like, three different things. There's the, the modern timeline. Yeah, it's three there's stories. There's the modern timeline with Teferi and Sahili sending Teferi's spirit back in time. Um, yes. With Kaya's help. Then you have young Mishra and Urza, like, becoming artificers and growing up. And then you have the, the war, right? Uh, yeah, and then you have grown, both of them grown and mid-war. Right. But we're jumping the gun a little bit, because before the Brothers' War, yeah, yeah, we properly kick off the story arc with the third set of the year. Dominaria United. Yeah, Dominaria United. Dominaria United. Go Land Crabs. Every, every time I see this set, I, I see Dom U, which makes me think Dominaria University. And I'm just excited to see what their <laughs> mascot would be. The fighting Kavus. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, in, um, as an aside, there's nothing in this world I want more than a sports jersey for the um, Alabama Crimson Merc Tide. So, roll tide, baby. Uh, so, anyway, Dominaria United, September 9th. So, this was our after our drought of the summer, where we only had Double Masters 2022 to enjoy. Um, after the, let's say, whelming release of Streets of New Capena and Impact, we had Dominaria United. First of all, for me, a big, big deal to return to Dominaria. Anytime we do, I'm uh, super excited about it. It's where Magic began and spent uh, over a decade uh, of its life in the beginning. Um, so, we return for what we know is going to be a low point for the heroes um, as we're building up this new Phyrexia storyline. And uh, they're not doing a lot of winning, but we've got themes and mechanics that might help them out. So legendary creatures, of course, <laughs> are celebrated as well as legendary matters. Um, and there's a few throwback revisited theme uh, in, those, in those ways. Um, but in terms of actual mechanics, we had Kicker. We had the return of Domain. We had Enlist. Uh, we had read ahead for sagas, and then they added the wonderful evergreen stun counters. <laughs> oh, that was nice. <laughs> that uh, have not really been used uh, too much yet. Literally anywhere. Yeah, not yet. Do you remember life before stun counters? Man. <laughs> I do, because I oh, literally, when they did Omnicat, I thought they should have used exhaust counters and I thought it would be so interesting for them to use exhaust counters on like offensive spells like exhaust target creature. That's a cool spell that they didn't print uh, and then they could have done the exhaust counters there. So they could have had cards that double exhausted or, or whatever you want, you know, however you want to call that. Exert. But regardless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. One of the fun things that Amakit did, we're going way back in time now, was the booster packs came with these little punch-out cards so that, you know, each booster pack mm -hmm. had a little, a little insert where you could punch out a little brick token because a handful of cards added brick counters and you could punch out little exerted yep. or eternalized. Oh, yeah, I have seen those. And in the first set, you built the brick counters, you built the monuments, and in the second set, you tore them down. They started with brick counters and you removed them. There was just something so cute about all of that. And I know I just described Egypt as yeah. like a niche setting, but I mean, that that was very quaint. It felt like in-world. I loved it. I loved just the tactile fascination of like, yeah, it's a little bit of board gaming in your in your card game, punching out little pieces. I'd love to see them go more into that. <laughs> 
you know, I'm not saying stickers, not like full stickers, but you know, why not? No, but they did uh, they did that with uh, ability counters. That's something they'd wanted to do forever, apparently, and that success yeah. led to them being allowed to try out ability counters. And I think ability counters, I I, I wish were slightly more ubiquitous. Um, so Dominaria United had the card that may have broken modern. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about Leyline Binding right now. Oh, I think it's super fun. Like, just look at the results. We need more bindings. You, you, you're saying it's underplayed? No, I'm saying it's helping to stop the true menace in modern, which is miserable shenanigans. Yeah, I, I, for me, I'm a huge fan of leyline binding in modern, uh, at least. Um, and I'm also a fan of its impact in Pioneer, which has been medium. You know, it goes in exactly one deck, yeah. uh, and it does a pretty okay job there. Um, in Modern, it goes into, you know, three decks, give or take, like three three tier-ish decks. Uh, and and um, it encourages a very greedy style of mana base that gets punished by one of the best decks being a Blood Moon deck and several of the best decks being able to run Blood Moon as a pivot. So I I think it's been great, honestly. Um, it, it is a pain sometimes when you're trying to build and brew with certain strategies, but that's always been the case. Um, when Prismatic Ending was released, it was a very similar pain for some decks, and it turns out some of those are still playable. Uh, we thought it would be the end of Aether Vile, and while Aether Vile certainly is not as good as it maybe once was, it's still playable, and there's still some decks you can play it in. Yeah, but I want to talk a little bit more about the difference between Leyline Binding and a card like Prismatic Ending. Leyline Binding it depends on how you approach cards. If you're looking at this just from pure spiky efficiency, it's the best in class removal spell, right? It's instant speed, so it's got a leg up over Prismatic Ending. It's just very very cheap. However, from a brewer's perspective. You see all that, right? Like, we've enabled it, we've made it cheap, we've made it efficient. But we also see, like, okay, it's an enchantment. Okay, it's got a high CMC. Okay, it allows me to, you know, get clear of the Cascade Barrier. So it's giving you, like, brutal, absolute best-in-class efficiency in the one-from-unremoval category. And on top of that, you get something else. We can call this, like, efficiency plus, right? Brutal efficiency plus something else. And you see it getting adopted in all these decks that are actually using it for both modes, right? They want it for efficiency, but they're also mm -hmm. taking advantage of at least some aspect of something else that it offers, whether that's... Enigmatic or Keruga. Exactly, exactly. Enigmatic, we started with that. And then mm -hmm. Karuga, which, you know, I kind of, we kind of forgot about Karuga, but it was always sort of there as a possibility. And now, like, you just have enough stuff. It's the year of the hippo. This is this has been Karuga's year. The hippo dinosaur has come out, and uh, he's he's feeling good. He's been multiple modern top eights, and I would say largely responsible is leyline binding. I guess that's the only reason that you can play Karuga. <laughs> Without binding, you can't play Karuga. It's like single-handedly carrying the archetype. Exactly. So this is kind of like the future of what a card needs in order to be impactful in a format like modern and still have brewing potential is you need to have efficiency plus. You need to have that absolute brutal one mana, do something sweet, and then give you something extra on top of all that. 
And I don't know if we're going to see more cards like Leyline Binding, or if this was just a one-off that just happens to work with how they've designed Domain and Triumphs together. But it's, it's shocking to see how much it can do. I'll also say that it's been very interesting um, from a player and judge perspective, the way Leyline Binding actually functions in a game. And the fact that, you know, you exile a card underneath it, so that Leyline Binding can get bounced, that card will come back. There's a lot of interesting gameplay uh, repercussions that come from that, just as an interesting sort of game theory thing that happens. And uh, I've gotten a lot of judge calls about the interaction of Leyline Binding, uh, specifically because of the, it's uh, as long as it's in play, template, all that stuff. So it's, a, it's an interesting game piece, as well as being an interesting brewing card. Yeah, the apparition of Might also enabled it, enabled a lot of decks to interact with it and made it that the efficiency actually had a cost. Right. And Nishoba Brawler from the same domain theme has uh, had some impact in modern as well, uh, adding a sort of uh, rule of eight for the domain decks to have that plus the Kavu, um, which yeah. is actually put that deck into like an like a t upper tier two level for modern like it it really keeps performing and i can't understand how but sometimes it just beats the hell out of you sometimes two mana five fives are particularly good yeah yeah all right so that's dominaria united the final set of the year the brothers war which is our current set what stands out to you about the brothers war I mean, I just couldn't, You, I don't know if you could have created a set that thematically um, was going to make me more excited. I was so excited about this set, and I'm really glad that they pulled it off in a way that I was pretty damn happy with. So that's, I mean, just my two cents on it is like, th they did not fail to live up to the expectation of how cool this could be and what a interesting uh, historical set this could be slotting into. You know, Antiquities, the very second magic expansion of all time after Arabian Nights was about this, but it wasn't about this. And it took like 27 years to get back to it. That's so cool. In terms of themes and mechanics, we had the return of Meld, ooh, uh, ooh. the return of Unearth, which was slightly more interesting. And actually just one mechanic, weird, uh, is Prototype, which, as we mentioned earlier, I think is pretty neat. Meld, I think, should maybe go away and never come back because it keeps being horrifically underwhelming. Yeah, what the hell was that all about? Like, I was fairly surprised that they printed Meld at all. I don't know. But I was even more surprised when I saw Aaron Forsyth mentioned in a tweet that that was one of the first things that they had locked in for the set was that they knew they wanted to represent like the old way of Planeswalker sparking via the Meld mechanic. With only one Planeswalker. Oh, God. Yeah, that's the issue. We have one Planeswalker. Of the three meld cards, only one of them's a Planeswalker. <laughs> one one Planeswalker, one Angry Dude, and an Angry Forest. I would love to know more about the thought process that went into that, because nobody liked meld, did they? The first time around? No, and I also, I thought on Mark Rosewater's Storm Scale, which is the chance of a mechanic to return to a standard legal printing, I thought it was like a nine, and it, it may have been. I just find it an eyesore, like... Casual players do love Mel. I remember when I started playing Mel, it was super cool. So I can see how it would be a really interesting point of sale for the set. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess we do get a lot of requests to make the Mel cards happen, so 
Yeah, they are super interesting, especially for new players. I remember coming into the game and just watching Mel was like... I remember even playing against an Ancients deck in one of my first FNMs, trying to meld the two Mel the two the two Ancients from yeah, Bossy, uh, Bruna and uh, yeah, Gisela. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was incorrect. Meld was a uh, six, although it has been rated as high as a seven on the Storm scale. All right, so maybe I just don't understand what people like. A seven can be revealed. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fine. And and we're from a more spiky perspective. I did try, by the way, to meld the Urza in Modern, uh, the only deck in which I was going to be successful to do it. Uh, was too powerful, and I ended up winning before I could meld. But even if I had, uh, the actual payoff they created there was, like, just reading the card, it's not good enough for what you're doing. Maybe, maybe in Standard. Maybe. But they really, I feel like they really undershot for any other format with that one. Yeah. So on the flavor question, Zach, it sounds like you were quite happy with how Brothers War hit on the nostalgia aspect. I was. I mean, more retro frame is more more good. They put in a ton of retro frame. Uh, I will not be happy until the entire world is retro frame. Um, until I can play every deck in all retro frame, I want yes, Zach one that would be my That would be my dream. Uh, but 60 artifacts and a bunch of really great cards in the... Um, commander decks i mean that was shocking to me that they did full commander decks of old frame cards that is just so cool um including the artifact lands including expressive iteration including emery lurker of the lock i mean and the the sketch schematic things i mean again i'm not a big uh collectible side of magic thing really matters to me but this this part does just because it's part of the game's history um and it, i just love having these things represented in the old frame Big shout outs to whoever put Unearth into this set. Like I think that was a huge part of making yeah. this mechanically integrate with the flavor they were going for. This is just an awesome example of like mining just the, the vast encyclopedia of magic design that they've accumulated over 30 years now. Like Unearth was originally designed for um the the Grixis shard of Grixis. Alara, where yeah. you know they came up with a setting where Without access to green and white mana, there's no new life force being generated. So in Grixis, you know, you have to like steal the Vists from other creatures and you kill them and then you can unearth to get one more swing in, which all made some sense. But like, what if instead of all that weird stuff I just said, you're just digging up an artifact and sending it into a battlefield with other robots? Like that's also just like the perfect for the archaeology right. set, like the archaeology of an ancient war of digging up terrifying machines, which is actually what original Antiquities was about, and just slap on Earth onto a bunch of artifacts. And it also solved the problem of, you know, artifacts kind of need to have colors attached to them, otherwise they get too generic. Um, so give it, a, you know, a colored on Earth cost, and suddenly it's, yeah, it's perfect. It, it works. Suddenly you make it work. Yeah. I have, in fact, by by the way, been attacked by a Tercerian Mindbreaker in Modern. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, in Modern, really? I have been attacked in Pioneer. Tybalt of the Red Sub is out there playing uh, oh, playing Mill with Tercerian Mindbreaker in Modern because he is a wild uh, Mill brewer. Were they also playing Fraying Sanity or were they not playing that? Uh, I didn't see a Fraying Sanity, but it's entirely possible. How were they getting the Mindbreaker into the graveyard? I want to say it was unmarked grave. Oh, God. Straight up. No, that's so bad. 
Yes, but this is the player who top eights with darkness, so don't count them out until they've done all their experimenting. Yeah, yeah, I know. Tivalt is Tivalt. I can't argue with Tivalt over with some. Nobody can. Well, and, and more importantly, like, you know, maybe this was their first test run. You know, I don't know. I don't know where they were at on their process. Maybe this was draft one and they were like, well, let's just see what happens if I make it do the thing. Is like, is that good enough? Is it worth doing? Is the thing tempting enough? Yeah. Yeah. For clarity, Tybalt of Red Sub is the Magic Online name of a player who plays Mill every time. So they're kind of a one deck specialist. Yeah, but plays Mill is an understatement. Yeah, he's yeah. the M. Hayashi Mill player. He plays his own deck list yeah. with weird stuff. He has top deck, top eight challenges playing a playset of darkness in the main deck. Just yeah. know before you look. <laughs> but in terms of uh, cards uh, looping around to the unearth mechanic that were just phenomenal, I mean, we may be fans of Scrapwork Mutt, but I love Mishra's research desk like nothing. I mean, that de- that card is just A+. plus. Yeah. Mishra's research is really, really pulling its weight in every single saga they keep placing it on. All right, so those are the sets of the year. Only four of them to speak of. Any other themes, any other big storylines that stand out to you as we kind of look back at 2022? What are you taking away from this year? Well, the Pro Tour return. Yeah, that was absolutely enormous. And the, the feeling at the regional championships that I worked both of Canada's regional championships was very positive. Uh, this has been, I mean, the return to paper competitive magic in a more serious way. Um, like we've had a p- couple of small returns to paper magic uh, in the last two, three years. Um, obviously, you know, with hope each time that maybe it would be you know, the, the proper return. And I, now we're finally there. And uh, it's very, very exciting um, to see that that this is all building at the same time, the regional championships, building the Pro Tour, going in that direction. With the one downside that the Pro Tour or the, the next RC uh, season is going to result in some standard play, but that's all right. I guess standard needs a spot. So would it be more accurate to say that the Pro Tour system of organized play has returned? Because the Pro Tour hasn't happened yet, right? Like the first one is in Philadelphia. Correct. Correct. The system is back. Like the trucks are in motion. Yep. Yep. So my question for you then is, let's say that you listening to this podcast right now, you used to love participating in Grand Prix and following the Pro Tour and whatnot and PTQs and all that. If you're that kind of player and you haven't yet felt that feeling return based on the RCQs that have been happening in your area yet. Is there something to look forward to that we just like haven't seen yet? Are we going to be wowed by the first pro tour and feel like, okay, I'm in, I'm motivated again. I, I loved this pro tour. I think it's coming up in a couple months, right? Or is it basically like, okay, yep. what you see is what you're going to get. Like if you didn't like the RCQ system, that's too bad. Cause this is what we're going with for now on. Well, specifically with the RCQ system, the first season that we we got through was uh, an extended season or whatever. Uh, I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before. So that will not be the same as the next uh, upcoming ones. So the fact that it was very, very easy to qualify for the first RC because there were just so many invites, um, that may not be the case going forward. I also really, really hope that the budget and production and coverage side of things is stepped up for the actual Pro Tour event. Um, I would also love for that to be true for all the RCs, but I mean, 
Hmm. I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. Maybe it will. Here's hoping. Um, so I think we just have to wait and see for for what the Pro Tour looks like uh, in that case, because they were still doing some pretty A-plus coverage for Worlds, even though I didn't tune into it. I actually saw it in person in Vegas, and it was quite the production. And uh, one would imagine that the Pro Tour would, would get a similar kind of treatment. And uh, I think we'll have to wait and see. What about the regional championships? Did either of you tune in well, to any There was coverage? none for Canada. Yeah, there was not much, and I don't tend to look at much content either, so... <laughs> so that's going to go hand-in-hand, hand, right? Like, if, if we cannot get excited about trying to look for coverage, then why would anyone else? So this is... I mean, I feel like we're sowing the seeds of OP's own destruction by declaring that we don't care about things like coverage. I'm saying I do care about it. Like, I, I care about it. I would very much like that it would come back. And again, I was working both weekends, I so I really can't okay. speak to what was possible yeah. for uh, watching Atlanta. I don't know if there was anything available. Was there? You know, I think I think Anzi D had something going on, but it wasn't too much. Yeah. I mean, it was... So what you're saying is he had the same thing as Vegas, a remote setup that was in no way supported by the actual event organizers? It was supported by the event organizers. Exactly. Like he had some official capacity, okay. but it was not the same as the he, I think he got, setups. I think he got found funding via Patreon. No, not Patreon, but the other one. GoFundMe? Yeah. Okay. But like what I'm saying is what I saw at Vegas for Worlds, which by the way was taking place not very far from the modern event that was played for a beta draft that got zero coverage. What I saw for Worlds, that is what I know they can do. So I would like to see that for the Pro Tour. Like, get the cameras out, get the players. The players are going to be there. So get the cameras out, get some people in blazers, sit them at a desk, have wipes, have production, talk about the things that are going on, talk about the storylines. Let's get back to, you know, um, the before we tried to label magic as esports, it was already esports, and we don't need to call it that. Like, it's a competitive thing where people have players they're fans of and storylines they're trying to follow, and you just give it to them. Like, just, just get it out there. Um, Wizards clearly has the ability to put on some top tier production quality. You know, every year they do multiple videos from some soundstage or studio with very specifically magic design set pieces in uh, either L.A. or I don't know where else they've been doing those, but they can do it. So just do it like you did it recently. You did it at Vegas and that is not your home base. You brought in all that equipment. You brought in all that talent. Yeah, so I put that on my wish list for 2023. I hope we see the glory of coverage. Yeah. And I will say that uh, as of last year's wishes, I have not gone back and, and listened exactly to what I asked for, but I did remember that I listened, I specifically asked for the return of like the Pro Tour. And I think I specifically asked for one of the formats uh, initially announced to be Pioneer and that that would help kickstart an interest. And that has come to pass. Um, we'll see what the state of pioneer is as we go forward um but it's certainly been very reinvigorating for that format and i'd see a lot more um buzz and a lot more interest in it than i did in the previous year yeah the only thing i would have added is at least a bit of a 
reformulating of how the current MRC system works. The fact that here in South America, excluding Brazil, of course, there's only two um, entrants for the Pro Tour being given is insanity, right? Like the fact you have to win the 400 Pro Bowl tournament, make the top eight for the second day, come back on Sunday, win the quarterfinals, and still win the semifinals for it to mean anything, it's like an insult. Imagine going third and not qualifying. Right. And I think Canada, uh, we had the two RCs, and I'm pretty sure top four of both of them uh, were queued for the Pro Tour, which is, first of all, Canada, in terms of population, I'm pretty sure we don't need two RCs. The only reason we have it is because we've, we're so, so wide. Um, that's pretty much the thing that's always been the case. <laughs> it's He's a wide boy. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I completely agree with you. Like it does feel very scattershot and uh, it really doesn't mesh with my perception of the, let's say, passion for magic that some regions have. Um, and commitment, you know, it, it seems a little unbalanced. So a question for you, Mord, is tweaking the number of slots, is that enough to solve the problem? Like, let's say instead of two, it was four or eight qualification slots or even 16. At least, at least it would be a step in the right direction, like to give us a percentage that would be feeling. I don't ask for as many as the United States or Europe, but two is a, it's just a spitting on the face, right? So what do you make of the counter argument that well the regional championship itself is supposed to be like the big draw the fact that you qualify for that and get to play in a somewhat prestigious tournament that feeds a pro tour is enough of a celebration but it wasn't we played it was a 400 person tournament in a local that was underground that was set up 14 days before the tournament itself and that they changed the day 20 days before okay it's also worth noting we're still in south america <laughs> we're still gonna work by south american rulings and situations. The next tournament, the XRC, is said to be on the 13th of January or something like that, but there's still no date and there's still no venue. So people can't even buy the plane, the plane tickets yet. So selling to us that that's our price is telling us there's no price. So how would that compare to in the Grand Prix system? You know, you would get one or two Grand Prix per year in South America. Is that right? Those were much bigger, yeah, and mostly they were in Brazil, which had a bit better organization. But GPs at least were better suited. There was a bigger investment for GPs because there was more money coming coming in in general. Like this was like a huge tournament rather than an event, if that makes sense. I see. So it didn't feel like a con or like a big event. It just felt like a. Yeah, it, it felt like a big tournament. I see. Hmm. All right. Well, work to be done there, and we can add that to our wish list for 2023 is cleaning up some of this little weird regional idiosyncrasies, maybe get a little more balance, maybe get a little more global balance to, yeah, make it more of a play the game, see the world. Yeah. For the mileage, uh, in the Canadian RCs, they did have um, booths set up with cosplayers. They had um, areas set up with sort of like magic stuff you could take pictures with. And there were even vendors that were selling things other than just cards. <laughs> so there were like uh, magic fashion stuff like socks, uh, but also nerd socks. It was not as uh, con-y as... Uh, I think it could be. A CP would have been. Yeah, or a Magic Fest, which is what they shifted to, right, in yeah. theory, right before the pandemic. 
Um, so yeah. I would be interested to see if in future that they kind of do a little bit more of that where they have, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, non-competitive focused events uh, that aren't just like come play a three round commander event, like actually like having some personalities, uh, maybe having a stage where there can be you know, a, a few other things um, like they did at Vegas, right? Obviously, it does not need to have the same insane budget that that had, um, but just to oh, yeah, of course, sort of e- emphasize the community side of things more than just the tournament. I mean, I'm happy with just the tournament, you know, but I know there are a lot of people in the community who need a little bit more of that fest back in their magic, a little bit more gathering, a little bit less tournament, which is fine. Just tweak the ratio, keep the tournament the same size, keep the tournament with the same passion and enthusiasm, and then add a little bit more of that con. Change the environment around it. Yeah, get a little bit of that more of that convention atmosphere going for the people who like that. Because they're they're around. They're, they are certainly around. Well said. All right, gentlemen. I think we're just about out of time. Any final thoughts as we look back at 2022 or look ahead to 2023? Keep the game great. Magic, even with its downfalls, even with the complaints we can have over the past couple of years, has to be one of the greatest games ever made. And just keep it great. Keep the community, keep the game. Yeah, well said, Mord. I, uh, I, I, I can't say it better than that, and I'm excited for a lot of the new releases from the next year. We've got Lord of the Rings to look forward to. We've got uh, Phyrexia once and for all defeating the Jasus League, and uh, I can't wait to see which Planeswalkers die. Yeah, we're going to have... It's going to go really deep into the story. We're going to have some amazing plots. Luckily... Maybe we're going to even change the main characters finally from Magic over the last decade with having the same main characters since like Lorwyn and well, Lord of the Rings may be the best set or the worst set in Magic's history. Will be the best in sales. Let's see in Legacy. I kind of forgot Lord of the Rings is happening. All right, so more to look forward to. Six months. <laughs> you fool, you have 180 days of not casting Gandalf. <laughs> Well, I'm sure we'll have at least 7,000 minutes worth of stuff to talk about again next year. I can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, we will. So thanks so much, everybody, to everyone that has been following, listening. Thanks so much, everybody. All right, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Happy New Year. Always a pleasure, everybody. See you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. See you next year. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on our 2022 year in review. We will return in just a few short days for part one of our set review, where Phyrexia all will be one. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you enjoyed this program and would like to help keep us going, you can join the Faithless family at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.